You've tuned in to the Community Cast Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I've been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today, for the very first show in 2024, we have two phenomenal guests with us. We have John Lynn Freeman here, and she is with New York City Cat Alliance, and Megan Lacari, who is with Puppy Kitty New York City. John Lynn, I would like you to take some time to introduce yourself to our listeners, as well as tell us why are you passionate about cats? Hi, thanks for having me on the show. My name is John Lynn Freeman. I've been doing TNR in Brooklyn for about 13 years off and on. And right as the pandemic was beginning, I had renovated a two-family townhouse in Flatbush, Brooklyn. And I started using my basement as holding space. So that really gave me a bird's eye view of different rescuers because people were coming from Queens. They were coming from far reaches of Brooklyn, Bay Ridge, Gravesend. And I think that really highlighted the need. You know, there's so many logistics involved. And I got this sort of cross-section of rescue work and what was going on. And also that the challenges of rescue work were becoming much harder as the pandemic wore on with the shutdown in services from ASPCA, then followed by the vet shortage. Last summer, the summer of 2022 was really a crisis for rescuers in terms of finding spay-neuter spots. I think we realized if nothing changed, there was going to be an even worse crisis this summer, summer of 2023. And so we started to talk to rescuers and we kind of decided to try to unionize to get our collective voices together to advocate for city-funded spay-neuter to support rescuers. We began to see that this municipal responsibility of New York City was being offloaded to private citizens in a really exploitive arrangement and that we needed help. This public problem could not be solved by private individuals. So we formed the New York City Cat Rescuer Alliance, nyccatalliance.com, and we just started forming a network of rescuers across all five boroughs to advocate for city-funded spay-neuter. Megan, you want to share a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks, Stacey, for having me. So I'm the president of Puppy Kitty in New York City here in Queens, New York. And I actually kind of got started accidentally. I mean, I always loved cats. I went to school to be a vet tech. And it's kind of tough being a vet tech, can't pay your bills. So I left the field and I'm working with following New York City groups on Instagram. And I was like, oh my God, I cannot believe the suffering that's going on out there. I cannot believe what animals on the streets of one of the most richest cities in the world are going through. This is insane. And, you know, I had the skills and the drive and the willingness to help. So I actually started as a transporter, just like driving cats, you know, to fosters or spay neuter appointments. And I was like, okay, I can do more. I became TNR certified and I worked my way. And here I am uh, running the rescue. We started out of my garage at my house. I just brought one in one cat and then I brought in another, you know, kind of sneaking them behind my husband's back a little bit. And then I had a full blown like shelter in my garage and we just kept growing and growing and growing. And I'd say we're now one of the biggest 
private rescues in New York City. And it's amazing. And I love helping these cats and, you know, a bunch of other species, but really seem to have it the hardest here. And it's been a tough time. It's crazy what is going on out there. And we're always looking for help. And like I said, anyone can start. I started as a transporter and we need all kinds of help. So kind of the story of how I got into it. So I'm going to share a little bit about my age here. And I remember the days when there was significant funding from Maddie's Fund. There was the Mayor's Alliance. There was a lot of money back in the day. I think Bloomberg might have been mayor back then. You know, and there was this really tremendous movement towards helping animals in the city. What has happened since that time, John Lynn? Yeah, I think when Bloomberg was mayor, I remember the Mayor's Alliance actually offered transport which was really beneficial. You know, there are a lot of logistics involved in trap, neuter, return. Bloomberg was a real animal lover. I think it showed. And I think we have had less and less leadership at that level. I mean, we had de Blasio come into office with a promise to outlaw horse carriages, which didn't follow through. I think we just had failure after failure of representation at the city leadership level, including now with Eric Adams. So, you know, being a vegan is not to be confused with being an animal lover. I think this is like, for him, it's health reasons. But, you know, yeah, I think we have a failure of leadership and it's really not representative of the New York City population as a whole. We're a city of animal lovers. This is not trickling up to leadership. I don't think that our current mayors and city council, although we have some really strong advocates on the city council, I don't think there's sort of a consensus or understanding. And maybe it's unawareness of the problem, you know, that The centers of power in New York City don't even see the problem with animal abandonment and feral cat overpopulation because these things are centered in our lower income neighborhoods in the outer boroughs. So the people who are making decisions are really separated from the problem. So that's one of the things we're trying to do is raise that awareness, education, fill that gaps that we can advocate for more resources. Well, and one of the huge resources that has been lost will never feel like New York City ever had the spay-neuter capacity that it needed at an affordable level, even when maybe they were at their heyday of spay-neuter appointments. And what I would call affordable is a sliding scale. For some person, you know, $100 is affordable. For another person, $25 is affordable. For another person, zero is affordable or even less than zero because you have to get transport involved and other resources. I've always talked about my community cat pyramid and trying to figure out what is it that a community needs to be able to assist that owned cat community to be able to reduce the community of cats that will need, you know, trap new to return services, caregiving support, and all of that other sort of reactive work, the rescue work that's reactive getting in with that owned cat community and ensuring that people have access to the resources that they need. New York City has gone backwards for sure. There's been, I hear people say, you know, appointments, spay neuter appointments, they're like gold, you know, they are just like gold. That's just not right, honestly. I mean, I think we have to try and work on some solutions to build our spay neuter capacity. Megan, what's it like for you getting spay neuter appointments right now? It is like winning the lottery. You know, we're getting up at 6 a.m. competing against other rescuers. It's really hard. And I have been using these two other clinics, Flatbush Cats and Cat Cafe, which is double the price. It's still affordable. I'm doing air quotes, right? 
But if I rescue a hundred cats in a month and it used to cost me $45 and now it's costing me double 90, that really affects my bottom line in the long run. And we're feeling it. And, you know, I feel like they've dangled the ASPCA spader neuter appointments over our head. And it's like just enough to like keep us quiet, even though the ASPCA brings in millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I know that there's a veterinarian shortage throughout the country, but why don't you pay a vet 500000 That solves your problem right there. Or even 250000 There you go. I'm sure a vet would come and do a spay and neuter for 250000 There's your solution, but they don't want to spend it. They don't really want to fix the problem because if they did, they could just pay people more, but they're not. So do you agree with that, John Lund? Absolutely. I mean, the ASPCA, this is, they've had record fundraising years, year after year, and especially during the pandemic. They have a massive fundraising engine. Their CEO is one of the highest paid CEOs in the nonprofit industry. So we are wondering why they aren't doing more. We have rescues in New York City who are doing a lot with a little, like Flatbush Cats and Brooklyn Cat Cafe. And then we have this massive organization that's doing very little with a lot. There's this huge disconnect. We don't understand what's going on, but we want to figure it out, maybe advocate for change. Maybe the spay-neuter needs to come from animal care centers. So right now, animal care centers are a private nonprofit that is funded by the city. So their budget last year was about $18 million, which is barely anything. That's not even enough for them to function. They closed for intake because of the cat crisis and because of their underfunding, which is really a tragedy. But, you know, one thing that no one's addressing is that you could allocate another 18 million to community cat programs and start turning off the faucet of the feline reproductive cycle. And those abandoned cats and those, you know, feral cats, there would be fewer of them even going into the system. So we're putting band-aids on things, but not without thinking of how do we stop the source of the problem? Some funds need to be allocated to that. And let me just put some context about what $18 million means in New York City. That is 1% of the Department of Sanitation's budget. It's just a margin of error for like average city budgets. So I think they could find that money. It wouldn't even be noticed. And it could do so much good because rescuers are already providing the free labor. So you are stressing significant capacity growth with regards to access to spay-neuter and affordable spay-neuter. One of the things that has happened over the last seven years is the conversation around really funding spay-neuter, continuing to grow that spay-neuter vehicle. We used to have what are called the Humane Alliance Clinics, which was sort of a franchisable nonprofit stationary clinic style that there were like 125 of them all around the country. And there was this big, exciting, motivational campaign, a lot of growth there. And then since COVID hit, 50% of those clinics are not operating or operating very limitedly. So across the country, we've seen these clinics really atrophy or go away. And you've certainly seen it with regards to the ASPCA and the ASPCA absorbed Humane Alliance and they have their training facility down in North Carolina. There is organizational strategy, organizational priorities. ASPCA can get involved in other communities around the country. You know, it's not our place to tell them how they're going to direct their funds. However, with that all being said, 
there needs to be communication in the community for any organization that's going to say, hey, we're pulling back these resources. We'll do it in three to five years where somebody else could come in and replace it rather than just being like, oh, well, we're going to turn it off. I understand we were told to shut down for COVID. We were told that these challenges, but it doesn't mean you can't, can't turn it back on again. Hiring, vet shortage, I agree, big challenges, but I think there needs to be a level of communication that needs to go on with the groups. And I'm a big communicator, whether we like each other or not, I like us in the sandbox together. I think it's critically important to do that. Now, we understand Flatbush has built a clinic. They're open. John Lynn, if you had another 18 million, I know you were talking about, hey, we just pay a veterinarian $250,000. We'd great create our own clinics. Is that what the vision is? Is that what you think would solve it? I think the people on the ground definitely need to be part of the solution and the people who are creating solutions already. I'd love to see an advisory board talk to the city. And then on that advisory board, you would have people already doing the work like Megan, like how could she level up and even open her own vet clinic? Could she get city funding to do that? She is already doing so much. That seems like a natural next step for her if she could get the funding. Brooklyn Cat Cafe, they're already doing it. They're already solving the problem. Let them be involved in expanding that solution, talking to the ACC, like how could animal care centers, how could they bring that to a neighborhood model for every borough with city funding? Talk to those people who are doing a little with a lot because that's where we can really stretch those taxpayer dollars. But let's not let it disappear into the void of a large organization that's pulling back services. You know, I think there's the perception that ASPC is headquartered in New York. So they're solving the problem and the city can just kind of let them do it and be hands off. But that is no longer the case. So we need to catch up to that reality and work on these solutions from the people who are already solving it. Tomahawk Live Trap exceeds customers' expectations by providing them with the highest quality humane animal control products available. Check out their new Pro Series Gravity Door Trap. They feature a door that sets automatically when you open it. No hook or plate setting needed. Use discount code KEEPITHUMANE for 10% off your order at LiveTrap.com. Want an easy grant opportunity for your animal organization? Maddie's Fund is giving away a $3,000 grant each month to one lucky Maddie's Pet Forum member. You'll automatically be entered to win each month when you start a new discussion, reply to a new post, or upload a new library resource. Learn more at forum.maddiesfund.org today. Mark your calendar. It's happening this Saturday. Join us this Saturday to learn the art of Trap New to Return, a powerful way to transform the lives of community cats. Brought to you by Community Cats Podcast and Neighborhood Cats, this session is for anyone who wants to turn their passion for cats into action. Whether you're a seasoned caretaker or just starting out, there's something for everyone to learn. Don't wait. Reserve your spot now at communitycatspodcast.com slash get TNR certified. And I think there can be a collaboration there. You can have, you know, the large players and the small players. Everybody can be in the room together. But then it's just making sure that the weight of the voices are equally weighted, you know, not heavily weighted one way or the other by the group. In terms of that, talking about that, there needs to be facilitation. So I know like in Massachusetts, we formed the Massachusetts Animal Coalition back in 2000 to help try and get all the divergent voices in the room together to work together. And it's been really extremely helpful, I think, in Massachusetts. Is your organization, John Lynn, trying to be the one that's facilitating 
getting all these organizations together to help work together to be able to facilitate, including city? Are you expecting this to be a city-led initiative or facilitated by a nonprofit where the city may be a participant in there? I think you're a few steps ahead of where we need to be because right now, until the city even acknowledges there's a problem, there's no dialogue. Right now, we're just trying to create awareness. Like, can we even get the city to acknowledge that we are in a crisis? Once we can get there and we can get city council members saying, hey, I did not know this was going on. How can we help? Then we can start really looking at those kinds of solutions. But we're at the very early stages of organizing to even educate our city council members and the mayor that there is even a problem happening right under their noses. And we started doing that with a discretionary funding campaign last spring. We're getting great advice from Voters for Animal Rights, which is a wonderful organization in New York City, to really start asking for discretionary funding. I wanted to go into City Hall and say, we need millions of dollars now. But apparently that's not how it works. So I was advised, you ask for a little before you ask for a lot. And it feels like we're moving at a snail's pace sometimes, but apparently this is how the political machinery works. So we did we did launch a discretionary funding campaign. Megan has gotten discretionary funding. She was really helpful in educating other rescuers about the process because she did it last year too, but not many rescuers who were asking for discretionary funds. And we needed to put the problem on the map by even having them ask for funds for this problem so that every city council member could see this is a problem in my community and someone is asking for help. We doubled the amount of funds that rescuers normally get awarded, which actually wasn't nearly enough. And we're going to ask again coming up in January, December, February this year to try to even double that. But it's very frustrating to be in a crisis and know that there is no solution in sight, that the slow work of educating and advocating means a solution could be five or 10 years away. Like when people are literally going through traumatic, experiencing so much animal abuse that they have to step in and help that is so unnecessary, animal hoarding, every kind of animal issue you can imagine is being exacerbated because of the sheer number of cats that need help right now that rescuers are completely outnumbered and overwhelmed by. And we don't see any help coming anytime soon. Um, Megan, what? how do you feel about it? You're further in the trenches than me, for sure. I feel like at some point, and the ACC closed down over the summer, they said their capacity for cats was like 300, which I am over 300 cats and I'm a private organization. I feel like I'm doing the city's job, which is animal control, and they should be supporting me in that. And everyone who's doing TNR or taking in friendly cats off the street This is the city's job, and I just happen to be doing it. You know, yesterday there was an 18-cat hoarding situation. The cats were in there without food for three days. Where is the city? Like, you know, they took away the ASPCA. People call 911, and these cops really don't know what to do or where to turn to or what the correct answer is because they are dealing with human issues. There has to be, like Jonlin said, dedicated resources to animal problems You know, I've heard many people say that they call ACC and ACC says, oh, bring it to the precinct. This is not a precinct issue. Like they don't have cages, food. If someone wants to help, why shouldn't there be resources from the city on what to do and how will it work? And we might return to field, we might euthanize it, or it might get opted. And as a regular person who knows to hear that the animal might get euthanized if you bring it in there, really devastating and unfair to someone especially when you're seeing a presumptively healthy cat. So 
you know, the city really needs to do more and stop just pushing it and saying, oh, we have ACC, everything's fine and good, but it's not. And they need to be supporting rescues like mine who are doing animal control, which is a city function. So I'm going to just ask one thing. So coming from Massachusetts, we have very little municipal funding applied to cats. Most of this solutions have been done with private organizations. It's been done collaboratively. We've included municipal organizations. They've been part of it, but they've not been the main player of it. And we are not a publicly funded state when it comes to cats. I know that there are certainly plenty of other programs that have municipal funding supporting for cats. There's a lot of legislation. There's a lot of then you get into issues about registering your colonies, licensing your cats. So it's a careful dance that you have to play. If you want the municipal money and resources involved, there's a lot of things you need to be careful about. There is the slow road and there's a fast road. The fast road can be initiated from the nonprofit organizations that exist to help grow their programs. The slow road, things like a check off on the tax return to get funding for animal programs in the city, the license plate funding for spay neuter. There's pet food tax that you can get to help support spay neuter resources. Those are sort of slow roads, but then there's big opportunity there that a coalition can work on. So I think a couple of things that just to be aware of is that there are multiple prongs for solutions and it doesn't involve just expecting the city to do things. There's a very much of a collaborative effort hoarding situations in Massachusetts, whereas all private organizations are the ones involved. It's not municipal that are involved. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I'm just saying as a coalition organization, you just need to think about strategically what is the shortest path to get to the ultimate goals, which is the help for the cats. I don't know, John Lynn, you're nodding. So let, let me let you ch chime in. When you get to the scale of New York City, though, this really becomes a municipal problem. And Los Angeles has, I don't remember the exact name of it, but it has a Department of Animal Welfare. I think it, they call it something else. We have a single appointee, the Mayor's Office um, for Animal Welfare, a single appointee with no real power. So to have a city, the scale of New York City, and not have a Department of Animal Welfare dedicated to animal issues seems absolutely bizarre. I get your point. It does need to be a private-public partnership, but there's like the public part of it has fallen completely out of it. And the scale of our problems are a public problem. They need public support, public funding. You know, we have more resources dedicated to a bag of trash on the sidewalk than we have to someone's discarded pet. And you ask the average New Yorker what they care about more, they care about that cat more. <laughs> We're not putting our money where our values are as a city. So I do get your point that private nonprofits should step in. I think if we were even to talk about a tax on pet food to go to spay neuter, I think that the pet food companies would be tripping over themselves to donate money to stop that, right? Awesome. Let's talk about that. But they're not going to listen to me. This needs to be something that maybe the city council representatives bring up. People who actually have power to say, we're thinking about instituting this tax. You know, Purina, what do you think about it? Or would you like to make a huge donation to our spay-neuter program instead? I totally agree. These are the conversations we need to have and look for these creative solutions. But it has to be from people who are at the power centers who have 
learned about the problem and are ready to act. We're at that stage where we need to get those people to care about what's happening. Yeah. And the communities I've worked with too, it's been the Department of Health that has been the most interested in CATS. I've been asked to come in and do initiatives within communities by Board of Health officials. And to a certain degree, I think that if we are thinking about the One Health model about our cats and our animals might be the health department is more the place where our animal services may need to live less than sometimes it's DPW, sometimes it's public safety. So just trying to think about where our animal service programs live, it's a very interesting conversation these days. Our Department of Health also, I think, is extremely understaffed. In order to have a shelter, a place where you hold animals, you need this certificate. The class wasn't even being given for like years. I had to get on the wait list and beg them to let me come. Now the next one is until next year. So if you wanted to actually, as a private organization, open a place, the class isn't being offered for a year. So you either open illegally and don't have your animal handling certificate because the course isn't available for a year. I mean, that's just insane. We should have it be online or something if they can't hold this class. And it's very antiquated that we have all of these things. So John Lynn, what, what were you going to say? Yeah, that's what I was just going to say is our mayor's office for animal welfare actually sits under the Department of Health. So that is the structure we currently have. We just don't actually have any actual services under that. <laughs> so. Well, at least you're going down the road the right way. So I'm ever the optimist, guys. So, you know, I'm always trying to find the bright side of the situation for sure. One question I'm curious about, private practice veterinarians, is there any involvement with them with regards to this effort? John Lynn or or Megan, you're nodding. So go ahead. Like somewhat, but again, you know, it's not really their responsibility and they have businesses to run. I do have a lot of amazing veterinarians who help me the most that they can. But you know, phase 125 with no services, neuters 85. It's just not the same as a low cost bay neuter. And and I really need to utilize my veterinarians for complex medical cases versus something. So I use them when I can, but it didn't make sense to pay 125 when I could have paid 45 But now we might have to move to that. But again, they're servicing the members of the general public. And it's kind of more ideal to charge someone 700 than to rescue 100 John Lynn? Yeah, I mean, I think we are, like I said, early stages. So we're really highlighting rescuers and what they're going through. I think that as we evolve in our information outreach, getting vets in the conversation will be important. I have talked to Operation Catnip in Gainesville, Florida, their head of operations, and I found that to be so enlightening what they're doing there and the challenges of finding vets who can do the high volume spay neuter and who can also educate and train others to do so. So yeah, I think we need that kind of triage approach in New York City. We do need that kind of volume to get this problem under control. The irony is that, you know, the costs of rescue work increase exorbitantly as you wait too late. You find the injured cats, the maimed cats, the sick cats. So all of these things are just adding to costs when, you know, if you had an effective spay-neuter system where anybody could get spay-neuter appointments whenever you needed them, we could cut off a lot of these things in the early stages, instead of dealing with so many emergencies later, including hoarding situations. And honestly, like if you wanted to have a conversation about hoarding, we need to address our legal system. 
We need a legal framework where someone can go in and actually remove cats from a hoarding situation and tell that person they cannot adopt or have bring in any more cats. Right now, if you have a hoarding situation in New York, the hoarder has to cooperate in order for any action to be taken. So if you've got a mental illness and you're hoarding cats, does that seem like someone who's going to cooperate to have the cats removed? And yet all they have to do is stand in the doorway and say, no, I'm keeping the cats. You can't come in. So, you know, like LA has a law that says you can't have more than four cats, I think. And there's an exception for rescuers and people fostering cats. That law is not punitive, but it is a law where a neighbor who has someone next door hoarding 150 cats in a one-bedroom apartment, that gives them a way to take action. And it gives the police officer a way to take action because now they're doing something illegal. So having a legal framework that lets you take action, which doesn't have to necessarily be punitive, you could have a rescuer who has eight cats and they're keeping them all very clean and and those cats are getting adopted out and they're cleaning all the litter boxes. A neighbor is probably not going to complain that apartment isn't smelly and there aren't biohazards coming through the walls, right? So, you know, I think we need to look at our legal system and see how we could do things that protect animals, that humans, like one person's irresponsible decision shouldn't have to impact a whole community. One person's decision not to spay or neuter their animal. Now it becomes the community's responsibility to track down those kittens every summer. So, you know, right now, New York City requires rescuers to spay and neuter any cats they find and adopt out. But that does not apply to the general population. There is no mandate that cats inside New York City must be spayed and neutered. If we had that law, it would really help rescuers. They spend so much time educating people in their communities who are like, no, it's interfering with nature. I don't want to get my cats spayed and neutered. Well, what if it was the law? All that time educating someone, they can simply say, it's the law and I'm here to help you with that. So John Lynn, I just want to ask you if folks are interested in finding out more about this initiative, how would they do that? Our website is nyccatalliance.com. And I would encourage people, our social links are on there. And we have an Instagram, we have a podcast called Catastrophe, where we're interviewing rescuers across all five boroughs to get their stories on the front lines of the cat crisis to really give people insight into what they're going through. We really want to kind of win the hearts and minds of all New Yorkers to help us advocate to New York City council members and the mayor to get resources for spay neuter. Excellent. Excellent. We'll make sure we have that in the show notes for sure. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? John Lynn first, and then we'll go to Megan. Shout out to Justin Brannan, our city council member who has been probably our biggest animal advocate. In a speech he gave at Flatbush Cats Vet opening, he mentioned, he acknowledged that the city was responsible for a lot of what rescuers are doing. And we really applaud him for that. Right. Megan? If you want to find us, you can follow us on Instagram at puppykittynycity, um, TikTok threads, we're, we're everywhere. And we always are looking for volunteers, fosters, and donations. So any way anyone can help, we appreciate it so much. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for everything that you're doing for cats in New York City. First and foremost, I want to thank you both for doing everything that you're doing and agreeing to be a guest on the show. And hopefully we'll have you on in the future when we all have, you know, every neighborhood has their own Mick clinic, right? That's what we want, (laughs) right? Hopefully. Thanks for having us. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think and a five-star review really helps others find the show. 
You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening. And thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats.